So if you're a guest with us this morning, uh, there's just too much to explain. Uh, I probably have, just based on the last five minutes with our children's pastor, about six months worth of preaching to do to get us all set straight. How many of you appreciate Pastor Jordan and the unique perspective... That he brings. Listen, uh, you can't hang around him very long and have religious spirits hanging on you, right? It's going to push on every single one of those. And we're just so thankful, uh, not only that he has that calling and anointing and personality and gifting, but also that he works with our kids. Imagine what it would be like to be a kid to really know God and not grow up with religious spirits, like, like bondage or ideas about God that are not really God. Some of you are still getting that. You're still catching that. What would it be like to grow up like really revering God for who he is but not having all that extra stuff put on you? You know what I'm saying? The kind of stuff that we go through therapy about. Like I grew up in the church and this is my problem. And so I'm just so glad that you're here this morning. If you're a guest with us, we're super glad you're here. If you need an explanation, uh, talk to Pastor Jordan. Buy a ticket to the chili cook-off and talk to Pastor Jordan uh, afterwards. While cruising at 40,000 feet, The airplane shuddered, and Mr. Benson looked out the window and said, Good Lord! One of the engines just blew up. Other passengers left their seats and came running over. Suddenly the aircraft was rocked again by another explosion as an engine exploded on the other side of the airplane. The passengers were in a panic. Even the stewardesses couldn't maintain order. And just then, standing tall, smiling confidently, The pilot walks out of the cockpit, strode out of the cockpit, and he assured everyone that there was nothing to worry about. His words and his demeanor made everyone seem like they could be calm. Everything was okay for the passengers. They sat down, and the pilot calmly walked to the door of the aircraft, and there he grabbed several packages from under the seats by the door and began handing them to the flight attendants, and each crew member attached the package that he handed them to their backs. One of the alert passengers said, hey, aren't those parachutes? And the pilot said that they were. That passenger went on to say, but I thought you said there was nothing to worry about. There isn't, replied the pilot, as a third engine exploded. We're going to get help. Have you ever worried about anything? How many of you worry when you fly? There's all kinds of things that we can worry about in our lives. We can worry about our children. We can worry about our job. We can worry about relationships. We can worry about the neighborhood that we live in or the city that we live in. We can worry about money. What is worry? Worry is a noun and worry is a verb. As a noun, worry means this. It's the state of anxiety or uncertainty over actual or potential problems. Right? We can worry about real things and we can worry about things that are never going to happen. But we, when we worry, we find ourselves in a state of anxiety and uncertainty. But I think it's interesting, the, the, the word worry as a verb has, a, has another definition, and it's to give way to 
anxiety or unease or to allow one's mind to dwell on difficulties or troubles. We know, we know what worry is as a noun. We, we've experienced what that is. But as a verb, it's very interesting that the definition both, in both senses, give way to or to allow one's mind to dwell on, involves a choice. If we are going to participate in the action of worry, because worry is an action, we have to recognize that there's a choice that we have in that worry. How many of you know worriers? Like, just people who are defined by their worry, right? You walk up to them, and you know you're going to get some of their worry given to you. Now, there's people that we can define as worriers, and that's easy to say, okay, this message is for them. But the truth is this. There are worriers, and then there are people who just worry. And all of us fall into that second category, simply as human beings, we, every one of us would have to admit at some point in our lives we have found ourselves worrying about something. And so this message is today is for the worrier and for just people who worry, which means this message is for each one of us today. Today we're going to uh, continue in our series on money and on cash rules, and we're going to talk about worrying about money, because did you know that m- money is the number one worry for people in the United States of America. It's a widespread worry. A Northwest Mutual survey found this, that the dominant stress for Americans is money. 44% of Americans are stressed about money. This is over relationships and it's over work. 25% of people worry about relationships. 18% of people worry about work. 44% of Americans worry about money. The American Psychological Association found that money is the number one worry or stressor for Americans. And it's regardless of the economic climate, money and finances have remained the top stressor since the American Psychological Association have been ranking them since 2007. Across America, people worry about money the most. The financial firm John Hancock Uh, did a financial stress survey in 2018, and they found that 69% of workers were stressed over their finances, and fully 72% of these workers admitted to worrying about their finances at work. That means we worry about money when we're making money. One in three workers admit to worrying about money more than once a week. When we worry about money, here's the truth, and here's why we're going to talk about it. When we worry about money, we give money a place of dominance in our lives. When we worry about money, we become ruled by money. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. We're going to read here a scripture that we have already read in this series, but we read it in Luke. Here we're going to read it in Matthew. Here's what Matthew chapter 6 verse 24 says. No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and you'll love the other. You'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Does that sound familiar in our series? It does because we're in a series called Cash Rules. And what we've discovered so far in this series is this. That money by default 
will dominate us. Money by default will rule us. If we don't make the decision to not let money rule, money will rule us. It will be a master over us. Money is not neutral. It can be, and it should be, for the children of God, a tool that we have. Not a domination, not something that we serve, but something that serves us. And so we discovered that money has a tendency to dominate. And even after we figured it out, how many of you have worried about money, then not worried about money, and then worried about money again? Right? Money has a tendency to dominate and will continue to try to dominate our lives unless we choose by the Spirit of God to have money serve us by serving Jesus as our Master. We learned last week this, that money is to be used as it, and resources are to be used to affect the eternal destiny of not only ourselves but others. God has given us money, and it's not just about like the coffee that we buy or how much money we spend on Poland Spring water. It's about what the eternal effects of those decisions and how we spend and use the resources that God has for us. See, money is not only not neutral in trying to dominate, money can be a tool to buy influence with those who need to know Jesus. And so the resources that we have in our lives are not just to meet our needs, they're to meet the needs of others and bring them into a place where they understand who God is and they're able to worship Him. So Jesus says, in Matthew 24, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. The very next verse gives us the definition or the context of what we're going to talk about this morning. Here's what he says in verse 25. That is why I tell you, because you, you, you have a tendency to want to serve money, that's why I tell you, do not worry about everyday life. Whether you'll have enough food and drink, enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Jesus says, don't worry about money. Don't worry about everyday life. Don't worry about food. Don't worry about clothes. Don't worry about the things that your resources provide for you to get. Because life is more about that than about that. Look at verse 32. Jesus says this in verse 32. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. Worry dominates the thought of unbelievers. Now, let me get this straight and make it very clear. If you worry, it does not mean you're an unbeliever. You can be saved, you can follow God and still worry. But what he is saying is this, that when we worry as believers, we are cooperating with the thought patterns and the lifestyle of those who don't believe. In other words, the truth is, as believers, we don't have to worry. You're looking at me like, Pastor, I don't believe you. <laughs> Jesus says that we have freedom from worry as believers. All right, we're going we're gonna to preach this till it sinks in. I believe that the message this morning, not because... I wrote it, but because Holy Spirit is working so powerfully in the words of Jesus right now to make the truth sink into our hearts, the message that we have this morning has a potential to set us free in incredible ways. So I want to encourage you to write it down. There's some stuff that you're going to get this morning from the Spirit of God that is going to bring freedom like you've never known before. Jesus tells us that the thoughts of unbelievers are dominated by worry. Specifically, worry about money. Listen, understand this. Jesus is not just speaking to those who don't know him. He's saying, I want you to understand as believers, 
He's speaking to believers. As believers, you need to understand that the thoughts of unbelievers are dominated by these things. What he's saying is, is, is both diagnostic and pers- prescriptive. What I mean by that is this. It's diagnostic in, in saying, if you and I as believers are worrying, he's saying there's a problem there. There's a brokenness there. There's a sickness in our minds or a disease. How many of you like going to the doctor and he says, and they say, hey, you're sick? Like you go in for your regular scheduled physical, and you think everything's hunky-dory, and your doctor says, hey, uh, so let's talk about the 25 pounds you gained since last year. You're like, I thought I was looking pretty good. And the doctor says, no, we need to talk about your heart. Right? We don't like to hear that something's broken. We don't like to be confronted with it. But Jesus in his goodness is telling us this morning, if we have worry in our lives, we need to understand that there's something wrong in our worry. What does it mean when we're worried? Jesus said, pay attention to that mindset. Pay attention to that part of your life. If you are worrying in any way, whether you are a worrier or you just worry sometimes, he's saying, listen, pay attention to that. But it's also prescriptive. See, as believers, we have access to something and someone who removes worry from our lives. Jesus is saying not only, hey, listen, you got an issue. He's saying, listen, I want to tell you what the solution is. This morning, understand this, that as God is speaking to our hearts, he's saying, there's another way to live. And if we just get stuck on the diagnostic part, we will miss the goodness of God in the prescriptive. So don't get hung up and worried that you worry. But let Jesus start to speak to your heart about what he wants to do to remove that worry. Because listen, it's not just a self-help issue. <laughs> like, we're not coming here for group therapy this morning. I'm not that good. Holy Spirit is good. He's real good. And he's going to do some therapy on our hearts and our lives. But this is not about just getting a better life so that we can walk without worry. Jesus is literally coming to speak to us about our heart condition. Why? Because I want to tell you this. Worry is actually sin. Some of us are uncomfortable with that. No, it's my worry. No, it's sin. Anything Jesus tells us not to do that we do is sin. We're going to get after it this morning. You okay with that? Well, I'm going to get after it, and you can come along for the ride. Listen, understand something. There is literally spiritual warfare going on right now over the conditions of our heart. There is spiritual warfare right now going over the conditions of our mind. The enemy wants us to relegate this message to just something that we hear and we feel a little bit better about. God is in this place. Holy Spirit is in this place right now wanting to deliver the power of this message and the freedom that comes with it because he knows that he has a people who are destined to walk without worry. But the enemy knows that if he can get us to worry, he can steal so much more from us than just that area of worry. There's a wrestling going on in some of our hearts and our minds right now. Some of you don't want to listen to me. Some of you are like, hey, pastor, stop talking about money. All you ever do is talk about money. Listen, this is only the third week. Lord willing, we're going to go to another series next week. We don't do money series that often. (laughs) 
But we want to talk about what Jesus talks about. He literally says, don't worry about these things. There's a wrestling going on in our hearts and our minds, but it's literally a wrestling for our future. It's a wrestling for the kingdom of God. We are tempted to say this is just about money, this is just about worry, we can just disregard it, but it goes deeper. Because worry clues us into the places that we are in need of an infusion of faith and of belief. Jesus says, if these things dominate the minds of unbelievers, there's a place of belief and faith that we are talking about this morning that has to go along with worry. Worry is just not about worry. Worry is about faith. Worry is about, is God really who he says he is? Will he really do what he says he will do? Will he really be real in my life? Is it actually true what the Bible says about other people is true for my life? Or do I have to worry about it? And so this is not just a wrestling over small things. This is a wrestling over our faith. And you can hear this morning that you're not good enough. You can hear this morning that he is just that good. God is right now in the process of setting some of us free in miraculous ways from worry. I think that you can expect, because God is just that good, that some of you will walk away free from worry this morning. You will literally have a spiritual deliverance from God. There will be a moment in time where God breaks through by His Spirit and frees you from the worry that has controlled and dominated your life. Now, I believe in deliverance. I believe that this morning that will happen for some people, but I also believe in discipleship. And what I mean by that is that's deliverance walked out. That it is for some of you this morning, this is the, this is the opening point. And you're, 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 you desperately want deliverance, but you're going to walk out of here and worry about something 10 feet out the door. And you're going to go, God, I don't know if you're real because the pastor told me that I'd be delivered this morning and I'm worrying about the same thing that I worried about when I walked into this place. What I also believe in is that God, by His Spirit, is faithful in that moment to say, yes, but what's true? He's going to walk us through the process of that worrying going all the way out of our lives. See, because the truth is this. Oftentimes we are delivered. God comes and changes the spiritual reality around us. But the truth is this. We have a lot more to walk out. And the enemy is not going to give up on this. If he's gotten you in worry before, he's, he, that's a pattern he wants to get you back into. And he's not that smart. And he's not that creative. And so if he's gotten you worried before, he's going to come back and he's going to try that again. Right? And so expect that even if you are delivered this morning, this is not the end of it. It's the end in terms of what God says over you, but it's just the beginning of, your, of the ability of the Spirit of God to come alongside you and walk you through that deliverance walked out so that your life becomes more free of worry and more free of worry and more free of worry. That what God has done in your life and the truth that He's spoken over your heart this morning becomes something that you walk in at greater levels of glory. Just imagine right now. Close your eyes. Literally imagine what it would look like to walk through a day, a week, a month, a year without worry. Not without the thoughts that the enemy would bring to you, not without spiritual attack where there's temptation to worry, but walking free from worry. I sense the glory of God in this place right now over this. So what is worry? Let's look at it. We talked about the, the, the literal English definitions, but what is worry in terms of Scripture? Scripture. 
Jesus said in verse 25, that's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Worry is a mind issue. It's a mind problem. That word, the literal translation is the thought. That's why I tell you some versions say to give no thought about everyday life. And I could pronounce it in the Greek, but I would jack it up, so we're just going to forego that because I'm not that smart in Greek anyway. But what it means is this, is to be anxious or troubled. When Jesus says don't worry, when he says give no thought, he's saying don't be anxious or troubled. Don't care for something more than you ought to. Don't look out for your own self-interest. Isn't that what worry is most of the time? Worry most of the time is that we want it a certain way. And if we can't get it a certain way, then, then we need to worry about it so we can get it a certain way. That if it's not turning out like we like, that we think maybe if we spend a little bit more time being concerned about it, that somehow it'll turn out how we want it to turn out. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. Don't be anxious. Don't be troubled. Don't care too much for Don't look out for your own self-interest. This word, worry, comes from a Greek root word that means to be drawn in different directions, to be divided and to be separated. So it's literally a fight for faith. See, God comes in and says, listen, I'm your dad. I'm your God. I'm the Lord. I'm the creator. I have all the resources of the world in my hands, and you're my kids. And I want to bring you into a place where you don't have to worry because of who I am. But what worry does is it divides our mind from the faith that God brings into our lives. It's taking back control, taking back ownership, taking back creativity from God that he has said. It's a pulling in our lives. It's a war. It's literally, the the word literally means to be at war. We think it's a mind issue, but I want you to understand something. Verse 32 says this, God already knows all your needs. We think we know our needs pretty well. God already knows all of our needs. What does that mean? He literally sees our needs. He literally beholds our needs. They're right in front of him. He understands our needs. He considers our needs. He can tell when we have a problem. Have you ever had a need in your life that you were afraid to express to somebody else? And yet God is saying, listen, I already know that need. I already understand what that need is. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm very familiar with your needs. Has anybody ever told you something like, hey, I need this? And you're like, you don't need that. I, I, I know what you need. Like in our finite mind, sometimes we think we know. Listen, God really does know. He knows exactly what you need. It's right in front of him. He beholds it. He considers it. And he understands it. And he knows our needs even better than we know. We have to understand God knows. And that lands us in the place where we can have faith instead of worry. Jesus says, don't worry, give no thought. What does he tell us to give no thought to? He, to give no thought to how you sp- what the timing is in your life, or for food, or for shelter. Don't even think about, worry about tomorrow. Listen, time, food, shelter, tomorrow. This is the ultimate test for a German mother. It's the ultimate test for an Italian mother. It's an ultimate test for a Jewish mother. It's the ultimate test for a Chinese mother. I'm not picking on moms here, but it's the ultimate test for a mother to not worry. And the lie, mm, I'm going to go there. 
The lie we've been living in for a long time is that your worry has somehow benefited us. Or that your worry somehow benefits your children. Now listen, I'm the beneficiary of a mother who made sure that my cheeks were always covered in Vaseline every time I went out to play in the snow. Am I the only one? That's not a thing? She told me that was a thing. I literally grew a beard so I could go outside in the snow without having to put Vaseline on my cheeks. Now, Mom, I appreciate that. <laughs> but <laughs> I appreciate that. We'll leave it there. <laughs> it's, an ult- it's the ultimate test for those who think that their worry is going to Mothers who think that their worry is going to get them somewhere, but dads, you're not off the hook either. <laughs> Jesus says, give no thought. Some of us, when we think about that, think, great, I'm doing good because I don't give a thought for anything. <laughs> Dad, this is not letting you off the hook. Because here's, here's what I believe. I believe that giving no thought, like not thinking about the things that are rough in our lives or the things that need to be thought about is the same thing as worry. Some of us walk through our lives saying, oh, I'm just like, I'll explain because some of you are looking at me crazy like Thursday night when I preach this. When we choose, willingly choose to ignore the issues of life, we find ourselves in the same place as worry. Because when we worry, we take back the authority of God in our lives, Right? When we worry about an issue, we give, we give worry the, the top place. We give another voice the top place over what we're worried about. The truth is this. If we choose to ignore something that's in front of us, we are in the same place because we're giving our no thought or whatever's right in front of us or the problem that we're thinking about or not thinking about, we give that top bill over the Word of God. What do I mean by that? I mean by this. It's not that we don't think about the things that come in front of us. It's that when we stop and think about them, we put, the place, we put the Word of God over those things first. That's a solution for worry, and it's a solution for those of us who ignore problems. Do you understand? Does that make sense? If we worry, or we just don't think about the things that are in front of us, we have gotten into the same place. The truth is this. God wants to bring us to a place where His Word is number one in our thought process. Worry is not just a mind issue. It also literally affects our body. I want to talk about the physical effects of worry on the body. Jesus said it this way. He said, can any of your worries add a single moment to your life? I like, I like the King James Version. It says, can, can any of your worries add a cubit of height to you? Some of you are like, I, I was hoping that it would. By the way, worried people usually walk around like this. People who aren't worried usually walk around like this. So worry actually takes away from your height. Being confident in God changes it. Here's the physical effects of worrying about money. Americans who report poor financial health also tend to have poor physical health. 
Indeed, they're significantly less likely to practice healthy physical habits. 59% of people who have poor financial health do not get routine checkups with their doctors. And 60% do not get regular exercise. They're more likely to skimp preventative health measures due to cost. What they found is this, that bad wealth begets bad health. In other words, if we're worried about money, if we don't know how to see it the way God sees it, if we're going after those things in an unhealthy way, it will physically affect our body, literally with depression and anxiety. People with greater financial stress have more symptoms of depression and anxiety than those who are not, those who are not financially stressed. According to a 2013 study published in the Journal of Anxiety, Coping, and Stress. <laughs> How would you like to be, be the editor of the Journal of Anxiety, Coping, and Stress? <laughs> you either walk out of work like really anxious and stressed, or you walk out of work coping well. John Hancock's data reveals as well that financial stress is triggering physical and psychological problems like anxiety and sleeplessness for roughly 60%. Of people. Migraines. How many of you get migraines? Don't worry, I'm not going to throw you in the bus. Listen, a study released in 2017 found that for many people, financial stress is related to getting more migraines. There are people that just get migraines for other reasons, right? For physiological reasons and other things. But people who have financial stress get them at a greater rate. Indeed, people with a certain genetic variation of the so-called clock gene, which helps control things like body temperature, levels of stress, the hormone cortisol, and about a third of the population has this variation, are more likely to get migraines in times of financial stress. In other words, if you're already predisposed to migraines, when you're financially stressed, you're going to get more migraines. Does that make sense? Physical effects on our body. Ulcers and digestive issues. An Associated Press poll showed that people who are under high financial stress are way more likely to complain of ulcers and digestive problems than those who have low financial stress. Listen, it's, it's almost three times more likely, or more than three times as likely. 25, or sorry, 27% of people who had financial stress also had ulcers and digestive issues as compared to only 8% of people who don't have financial stress. Does that make sense? I'm not a statistics guy, so sometimes delivering statistics, I feel like I'm not getting the point across. Are you catching it? High blood pressure and heart attacks. High levels of debt may also lead to high blood pressure. According to a 2013 study of 8,400 young people, young people, published in the Journal of Science and Medicine, treating hypertension can cost you $700 or more per year. The data shows that annual expenditures of those who treated hypertension averaged $733 per adult in 2010. What's more, people with high financial stress are more likely to report that they've had a heart attack or arrhythmia than those with low financial stress. People with high financial stress, 6% report a heart, heart attack or arrhythmia. People who don't have financial stress, 3%. Worrying about money literally affects our heart. Disrupted sleep. Well over half of both men and women say that they lose sleep at least occasionally because they're worried about money. According to a survey of 1,000 adults released in 2016 by creditcards.com, worry can be very costly. Americans spend more than $40 billion a year on sleep aids. 
Money is a huge source of worry. But it's not all just about money. We're going to talk about the effects of worry spiritually on our lives. Again, this is, Jesus opens it up about money. Money is the number one stressor. But how many of you know people worry about more than just money? We're going to talk about the effects of worry on our lives. This is where you should write stuff down. If you, if you have a place to take notes on your phone, write it down. If you don't, just grab one of the prayer cards that's in the pocket of the chair in front of you. There's a pen there. Write this down because I think this is uh, God's wisdom for us. We're going to talk about the effects of worry, spiritual effects of worry on our lives, and scriptural effects of worry, and then we're going to talk about God's responses to worry. First of all, worry subtracts. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 27. Can worries add a single moment, cubit, inch to your life? We think we actually think that worry somehow adds to our life. It starts like this, though. Worry most often involves trying to keep what we already have. If I'm going to worry about my kids, it's because God has given me my kids and I don't want to lose them, or I don't want them to lose a limb, or I don't want them to lose a mitten. Listen, you could have, I, I get it. You could worry about losing mittens. I can't tell you how many mittens we have purchased. And I get it. I know now why worried moms attach them to strings through jackets. I thought it was annoying when I was little. I totally get it. It actually frees you from having to worry about it. But we think somehow worry adds to our lives. If I can worry about this, I can keep what I've got. I don't have a lot, but I can keep what I got if I worry about it. If I care for it, maybe a little too much. If I stress over it, maybe somehow my stress is going to help me keep it near me. Maybe if I stress enough over it, I'll get more of it. Jesus says, worry only subtracts. Worry only takes away. Takes away from our life spiritually, takes away from our life physically, takes away from our life emotionally. It takes time and energy away from us. How many of you have lost days worrying about something? How many of you are worried about a relationship? And it, it just rumbled in you for so long. That, and you, like it robbed you of the joy of a situation. Some of you are worried about where you're going to be on Thursday. You're worried about how those relationship things are going to go. And it's going to rob you of the moment. Unless you choose to not worry. And that's not not think about it or go into that situation oblivious to what's going on. You go into the situation with eyes wide open and by the Spirit of God, you see what's happening, but you don't let what's happening dominate your mind and your spirit. You let what God says about it dominate. And the truth is this, let me give you a place where you don't have to worry. If you have the Spirit of God residing in you, when you walk into whatever home you walk into on Thursday, or when people that you're worried about walk into your home on Thursday, you are either bringing the presence of God with you, or they're walking into the presence of God. But if you worry, that worry will dominate, and it will take away. Worry subtracts. Worry also chokes. 
Matthew 13, 22, Jesus is telling the parable of the seed. How many of you are familiar with the parable of the seed? And in that parable, Jesus actually explains what he's saying. He, he talks in the parable like some seed was set, scattered and it was scattered on a, on a path and the birds came and ate it and it was scattered among uh, uh, rocky soil so it grew up really quick but there was nothing for it to hold on to and so it died. Some of it was, w- grew up among weeds and eventually the weeds choked it out and he said and then some fell on good soil and, and the disciples are like, okay, what does that mean? And he explains it to them. He said that, 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 that Seed represents the word of God. But notice what he says about the seed that fell among the thorns or among the, the, the weeds. It said the fe- seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth so that no fruit is produced. There is nothing more powerful than the word of God. But... Worry can choke the life of the Word of God out of us. doesn't make the Word of God any less powerful. It just makes it unavailable in our lives. And here's how it works. How many of you have ever been choked out before? I have never been choked out before until about a month and a half ago. And here's what I learned about MMA fighters. Here's what I learned about snakes. Snakes that are going to squeeze the life out of you don't just come and powerfully squeeze the life out of you. MMA fighters who are going to try to make sure that you can't breathe don't just come with all their might and choke you. They wait till you take a breath in. Out, everything's expanded in, and then just a little bit tighter. You don't have to use as much energy when you take a breath in to hold it there. Then they wait for another breath in. Out, and then exhale. When you exhale, boom. Another choke. This is exactly what worry does to us. It chokes us over time. It takes the cares of this world, and when we finally feel like we've got a uh, we've got relief from it, we've worried about it enough, we finally, we're good. We, we, we breathe out, and then we breathe in again, and when we breathe out, boom choke. Boom. Choke. Worry chokes us. Worry chokes faith right out of us. Worry chokes the Word of God. The Word of God that's supposed to be producing life, that's supposed to be producing harvest, that's literally supposed to be producing fruit in our lives. How many of you know it is impossible to bear the fruit of God when you're, when you're worried? Right? And most of the time when we're worried and we're not bearing the fruit of God and we snap at somebody or we're short with somebody or we we let it out on somebody or we ignore somebody, usually what's the excuse? Oh, I'm really worried. Sorry. Oh, this thing is weighing heavily on my heart. Sorry. That's a good, like, Christian, this is weighing heavily on my heart. That's church speak for worry. And it literally chokes what's supposed to bring life out of us, what's supposed to bear fruit. It's impossible to bear fruit when we're being choked. What's true is this. You and I cannot make good decisions from a bad position. When you're getting choked out, you can't think about anything else except getting the next breath. Right? When the life of God is being choked out of you because of worry, you can't stop and elevate the Word of God into that. When you're worried about something, you don't make good decisions. I don't make good decisions. Have you ever made a decision in the midst of worry? We make horrible decisions there. 
Because all we can think about is that thing that's choking us rather than saying, okay, what's true and who am I and what has God done for me? And so when we stop worrying, we actually can stop and take a breath. We can breathe in the life of God. We can breathe in the word of God. We can cooperate with the spirit of God. And guess what? Fruit just starts to be produced. So worry subtracts, worry chokes. Worry also desensitizes. Luke 21, 34. Watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware. Jesus is talking about his return, and he's saying, listen, if you're running around carousing and in drunkenness, what does carousing mean? Carousing means drunken evil. See, there's drunk people that are just drunk people, and that's worse. That's bad enough. But what's worse is drunk people who do stupid stuff. Who do evil stuff. I was reading an article uh, this yesterday about the rise of anti-Semitism in France. The greatest, uh, largest populations of Jewish people in the world are first in Israel, second in uh, the United States, and third in France. And people in France, Jewish people in France, are moving by droves to Israel because anti-Semitism is on the rise there. And what they're, what, what, what's one of the people who moved said is, it used to be that um, when somebody attacked our family, that th- they would be held accountable for it. But we're really concerned right now because they keep giving excuses to these people who are attacking us for being Jewish. And what one of them said is, literally, they're letting people go because they were drunk or high when they did it. When we are drunk, when we're high, we do stupid stuff. We do, we do evil. Jesus equates worry to the same effect as drunken evil. Our society has become desensitized to evil. We don't even recognize it. It's right in front of us and we don't see it. That, the, the people that were being interviewed who were moving out of France said, we thought this was over when World War II ended. We thought we got it. We thought it was bad enough that we would never be in this position again. But over time, that society, every society does this. We become desensitized to evil. Jesus said that worry does the exact same thing to us. It desensitizes us to evil. And so some of us are like, well, I can worry about this because like, it's not that big of a deal. Jesus said it's the same thing as drunken evil. Same effects on our lives. It catches, we, we will be caught unaware. We cannot think about the things of God or be sensitive to the things of God when we're worried. Worry desensitizes. Worry also dominates. Look at verse 32 of Matthew chapter 6. These things dominate the thoughts of unbeliever and your heavenly Father already knows about your needs. Worry dominates. It takes over causes us to be in a place where we have a Lord of our lives that is not God. So what are the responses of worry? I think there's freedom here this morning. For you and for me, there's freedom for our children to not be ruled by anything but Jesus. So what are, what are the scriptural responses to worry? This is what you should really write down. You all know the effects. We've all experienced the effects. What does God say? 
How do we respond to worry? First of all, we need to recognize who our master is. Matthew 6, 24, the verse we started out with, you cannot serve two masters. We have to decide first that we have a master and his name is Jesus. That we have a master and his name is God. But understand something. Jesus uses that language to start, but he shifts his language a little bit later. We've already read the verse three times, but there's a major shift. I said before, God already knows your needs, but that's not what the scripture actually says. What the scripture actually says is this. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows your needs. That's a shift in perspective that allows us to not worry anymore. See, some of us worry because we believe in God. Some of us worry because we know that we serve God. Some of us worry even because we have a Lord. But God wants to shift us in our understanding to, the, to know that God is not only Lord and Master, but He's also our Father. Jesus said that our Father knows. And it's time to make a shift to this perspective and this understanding Romans chapter 6, verse 16 tells us that this is a conscious choice. Whether or not we serve a master and Lord only or we have a heavenly father is a choice. Romans 6, 16, don't you realize that you become a slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death. How many of you know worry leads to death? Or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. God is shifting us as a people away from worry by helping us understand that we have a very, very, very good Father who knows our needs. But the truth is this. Some of us have walked around in the kingdom of God with our dad for so very long not seeing him as a good father. I want to tell you a a story that's personal to our family, and I got permission from my sister this morning to tell it. I didn't have permission on Thursday. But many of you know this, that uh, my uh, youngest brother and my sister uh, are adopted. They grew up in Russia, and they came to our family at 10 and 8. I thought he came on his birthday, and he turned 10. So... Nine, he turned 10 on the day he landed. Okay, anyways. I've got to get these stories right before I tell them. My brother and sister are adopted from Russia. And what happened was my dad uh, got permission. We, we did not know about my brother. We only knew about my sister. Uh, and so he went to Russia to pick her up. And he lived with her for, she lived with him for about a month in Russia in December, November, December, in Siberia. So they got a lot of time together. A lot of time. And we have videos of her learning what it's like to live under Papa's rule. And they did things like play cards, and he read her stories about the Malinky Sfina and the Big Bad Volk. That's the three little pigs and the Big Bad Wolf. And she got some time to spend with him, being enculturated to what it meant to be a Hamlin. A little bit. I mean, as much as could happen in an apartment in Russia with, like, inch, with ice that thick on the windows. 
But Russia at that point was changing their adoption laws constantly. And so my dad had to actually leave her in Russia with some missionaries that he, they were, had been staying with and come back to the United States planning, I think within the next month or so, to go back with all the permissions and everything that was needed to bring her home. And it was a year and a half before that process could be completed. And in the meantime, my brother, uh, we discovered that my sister had a brother who became my brother, and we decided that they would both come and be part of our family. And when they finally did come a year and a half later, it was really interesting to watch how this little girl, the younger sister, the teeny tiny one, who had lived with my dad for a month, already had some of the culture of being a Hamlin that my brother didn't have. You understand? He didn't live with my dad for a month. And so often at our table, you would hear things like from my sister like this. Like directed at her older brother in Russian. I can't do the Russian thing, but that's exactly how she sounded. <laughs> she was enculturating my brother to what it meant to be a Hamlin. And he was going... <laughs> We're just like watching it with fascination. What is the best way for kids who don't have the culture of their dad to get the culture of their dad. It's to spend time with their dad and to spend time with kids who know who their dad is. So it's important, if we're going to make this shift, if we're going to understand that we have a master, but we also have a heavenly father, if we're going to deal with worry, you and I have got to spend more time with the Lord, but not just with the Lord, we've got to spend more time with those who know who he really is, those who don't worry. And so if you're a worrier, don't spend your time with other worriers on the phone talking about your worry. Guess what? You're just going to get more worry. When you start to worry about something, if you're having a hard time breaking out of that, get into the Word and talk to your dad. If you're still having a hard time with it, call somebody who doesn't worry and say, tell me what God says about it. And then when they say it, don't go, yeah, but I don't know that's for me. (laughs) No, seriously, like, we're going there. I I can literally tell sometimes, when when I preach a message about faith or something like that, and somebody comes up to me afterwards and says, hey, listen, here's my problem. Here's what you told me. Here's what God says. Here's my problem. And I say, great. Here's what God says again. And I'm watching the words of faith just go right at them. And they're, and they're like absorbing it. And all of a sudden this thing switches and they're like, yeah, but. And I'm like, what? But we do this all the time, don't we? Every time we pick worry back up, we are saying no to God. We're saying no to our Father. We're saying no to our Heavenly Father. So let's start hanging around people who will encourage us to ha- that we have a Heavenly Father who's real. Second thing, seek the kingdom first. Matthew 6.33. Jesus says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and He'll give you everything that we need. See, we first have to realize that this is not all about us. Worry is making it all about us. I need it to go my way. I have a plan. I just touched on somebody. So how many of you came in here with a plan? How many of you wake up every day and you know the plan? And you don't stop and say, hey God, what are we doing today? You stop and say, hey God, this is what we're going to do today. Or maybe some of us are spiritual and so we wake up and say, hey God, what are we going to do today? And he tells us the plan. We're like, yeah, so part B and C, we're going to do it this way actually. Or we walk in faith and we're ready to do it God's way. We've heard from God. We walk into the day and we're like doing our thing and then all of a sudden we just default back to the old one halfway through the day. We default to our plan. 
Jesus said to maintain an attitude of seeking his kingdom first. Listen, the more you focus on you, the more you'll have to worry about. The more you focus on you, the more you will have to worry about. The more you'll be tempted to take your life back into your own hands. When we realize that God is the one who owns it, we can shift in our perspective. And that's number three. Number three, write it down, is to give worry away. Now, I'm not talking about calling your friends up and trying to, like, tell them all your worries to give them away. This is what Jesus, or this is what the scripture says. First Peter 5, 7 says, give your worries and care to God, for he cares about you. We have to give our worries away, but we need to give them away to the right place. We need to give them to our Heavenly Father. Because why? It doesn't say because he can handle it, although he can. It doesn't say because he's all-powerful and he can change your circumstance, although he can. He, sa- he says, give your worries and your cares to God, because why? He cares about you. He loves you. He's able to handle it way better than you and I can. So let's give the worry away to him. Turn, turn with me in your Bibles. We're going to land here for the rest of the, the morning. To Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 6. Verse 6 says, don't worry about anything. Again, an instruction from the, from the word. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he has done. Verse 6, first part. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Our perceived ownerships of the things that we worry about shackles us to those things. When you, when you and I worry about something, we are saying, this is mine to own. When we think we own something, then we have to worry about it. Right? Generally, we want people to get this concept. Like, you get your kid a car, or your kid buys a car, and you want them, because they own it, to take care of it. Right? If they come back to you and say, hey, Dad, uh, the car that you got me, uh, it needs wash, it needs to get vacuumed out, I need some gas, and probably, could you take it for an oil change? you're going to very quickly remind them that that's their car to take care of. But listen, the truth, the truth is this. When we own something or think that we own something, we worry about it, and then, and then God can't come in and do what he wants to do. God says give it back to him. That's why it's so important that we understand this idea with money, that he owns it all. And so he, he asks us to give him 10% back, but to let him direct us in how all of it is spent. When we let him direct us in how all of it is spent, we don't have to worry about it. Wait, Pastor, but mm, I'm, it, that's kind of an absolute. Just let him worry about it. Follow his ways in it. Seek his kingdom first, and as we do that, we can give the worry away. We need to give everything back to God. Our money, people, relationships, our future. Give worry away. Four, dealing with worry. How do we deal with it? Biblically, we express ourselves. 
Philippians 4, 6, the last part of the verse says, and thank him for all that he has done. Write this down. It's powerful. Worry cannot exist in the presence of gratefulness. Worry cannot exist in the presence of gratefulness. Thank him for all that he has done. Why? Because everything that he has done is a testimony of what he can and will do. And when we are worried, we're saying, I don't know that that's actually true. You did it in the past, but I don't know if it's for me. You did it in the past, but I don't know if you're going to do it in the future. You did it in the past, but is it really your nature? Listen, when we talk about and remember and thank him for literally all that he has done for us, it becomes a testimony about what he's about to do. And so worry cannot exist in a culture, in an atmosphere of gratefulness. So how do we live that out? Literally make a list of all that God has done for you. Like if you're writing down notes right now, you can flip it to the other side. Just start writing down. This is what God has done, and this is what God has done, and this is what God has done. This is what I'm thankful for. This is what I'm grateful for. Listen, this, I'm not preaching this message because Thanksgiving is in a few days. But most of us as Americans relegate our thankfulness to that five minutes around the table when somebody says, what are you thankful for this year? And if we as believers and a Heavenly Father who has taken such great care of us are only thanking God certain times of the year, then we are missing the point. God has called us to live in thankfulness and gratefulness every day. Not because he's a God who's saying, would you just thank me for what I've done for you? But because he knows that when we do that, we don't have any worry. So literally, daily, make a list of what you're thankful for. And when you make the list, then start expressing yourself. Start by thanking God for it. Right? This is what I'm thankful for. God, and and lit, literally tell him, thank you. Don't take him for granted. But also do this. Tell somebody what you're thankful for. Not just on Thanksgiving. Because when we start to express gratitude, it starts to build an atmosphere of gratitude. And it is also the testimony, not only to yourself, but to somebody else about what God can do for them. And sometimes people need an atmosphere of gratitude around them to release them from worry. And sometimes you are the bringer of that atmosphere. In fact, God has made you and I ambassadors of his kingdom. And one of the things we bring is a worrylessness that nobody else has. Express yourself and be grateful. Two more things if the worship team can come. We're just wrapping up. Number five, fix your thoughts. Fix your thoughts. How many of you need your thoughts fixed? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. You say, Pastor, great. You tell me not to worry. Jesus tells me not to worry. You tell me it's a sin. I've tried to not worry before. I can't fix my own thoughts. It's actually not true. You know how you fix your thoughts? You fix your thoughts by fixing your thoughts. Oh, thanks, Pastor. That's really helpful. (laughs) You fix your thoughts by fixing your thoughts. Look at uh, Philippians again. Paul writes in verse 7 that when we thank him, when we bring him our our things, when we give worry to him, when we thank him for it, verse 7, then you'll experience God's peace which, which exceeds anything we can understand. Our thoughts literally change. 
Things you don't think are possible become possible. The worry that you've suffered with that seems so impossible to get rid of changes when you bring the worry to him and when you start to thank him. And something else invades. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So it literally creates a a beachhead to start to push worry away. And then that, 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 that continuation in giving our worries to Christ in, in, in thanking Him for what He does actually starts to bring a peace that protects our hearts from additional worry coming in. And what we do in that place, when we, when we make that decision, you've got to start with giving Him the worry and not take it back. You've got to start by thanking Him. And when that peace comes, what happens is this. We get to fix our thoughts. Verse 8, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true. Oh, well, the truth in my life is that I have something to worry about. Actually, no, the truth in your life is over that truth is that you don't have something to worry about. Well, pastor, is that just ignoring the problem? Absolutely not. It's recognizing the problem and saying, my heavenly Father's word supersedes any other word that's been spoken over me. That my Heavenly Father's care and concern and ability far exceeds my care and concern and ability. And so we fix our thoughts. And it, it's a play on words. It's not actually fix your thoughts. It's put your thoughts on. Decide that your thoughts are going to be in a certain place. Decide that you're going to put your thoughts not on your worry, but on the truth of who God is. So fix your thoughts on what is true and what is honorable and what is right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And that place where God started to bring you freedom, where He started to bring you peace, where He's guarding your heart and mind so that you don't go back to where you need to fix. We need to fix our thoughts. Direct our thoughts. Decide our thoughts. Listen, we need to take ownership of what we think about. Not our circumstance, but what we think about. And take ownership of that. What I mean by it is this. You and I have very little ability to control what comes into our thoughts initially. We have some ability. Some of us are putting ourselves in places where we just have garbage after garbage after garbage. Negativity and worry and crudeness or whatever just, just continually coming in. Like, we need to stop that. We do have a decision about that. But just in the everyday things of life, for even those who, who get up every morning and fix their thoughts on Jesus and are walking through the day, the enemy knows, and we talked about this already, he's going to try to bring worry back in. And in that moment, we have a decision to make. Am I going to allow this to stay, or am I going to say no, and I'm going to fix my thoughts on Jesus? Because how many of you know, in that decision, you go down one path or the other. Right? Worry begets worry begets worry begets worry. Truth begets truth begets excellence praiseworthiness, pure, begets pure and praiseworthy and honoring and excellent. Paul says, fix your thoughts. And number six is this, live the secret. What's the secret? What's the secret? Verse nine, Paul says, keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Any, for everything you heard in me and saw me doing, and then the God of peace will be with you. Paul says this is, this is worry is a mind issue. But at some point, it's got to shift from our minds to how we live. To be put into practice. 
Verse 10, how I praise the Lord that you're concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have a chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. That is the secret. I have learned to be content with whatever I have. Oh, I know I live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation. Whether it's with a full stomach or an empty, with plenty or with little. Listen, Paul says this. He doesn't say, hey, if you want to be free from worry, just don't want enough stuff. This isn't Buddhist philosophy. We're not trying to get rid of the desire for the things that we need. And, oh, I don't, you know what? I'm just going to be poor and I'm going to be thankful for it. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul says, I've learned to be content when I've got nothing and I've learned to be content when I have everything. Do you know the people that have the hardest time being content are rich people? The more money you have, the more worry you have. Generally. Unless you're a believer. And so Paul says the secret is not having more. The secret is not learning to be content with just little. The, 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 the secret to living without worry, with peace in our hearts, is to just be content with whatever we have. So how do we start this morning? How do we start this morning? I think we just start by making some decisions. By first, first admitting that many of us have another master. And that master is called worry. Worry over money, worry over relationships. Anything we can worry about, we can say, if we're worrying about it, it's a master. If we're worried, it's sin. If we're worried, it's not okay. We have to start there. But the great news is we don't have to stay there. That we, we need to say, I've got a dad. He's in charge. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go after him first. I'm going to pursue his purposes first. And in doing that, I'm going to give all my worries to him. How about we just start there? Close your eyes with me if you would. I think if we did an altar call, and if you're a guest with us, that just means we all come forward and we present to God our issues, let him move in us. If we did that this morning, I think it might negate what God wants to do. In the sense of this, we would come and we would just lay it at his feet, and we would say, okay, God, you you either delivered me or you didn't, (laughs) and we'd walk out. But this is something God's called us to live in on the regular. So I think the best response this morning is just before the Lord to decide. I'm not going to worry anymore. I'm going to call worry what it is. I'm going to start by just calling it what it is. So every time I'm tempted to worry, even the worry that I have right now, I'm going to say, no, this is not from my dad. And I'm going to seek your kingdom first. I'm going to bring my worry to you. 
make, literally make a decision because this is how we walk it out on the regular. We make the decision over and over and over again to give the, our worry, our worry, to the Lord so it's no longer our worry. But I want to do this first. If you're here this morning and maybe you're like thinking, hey, that sounds great. I, I don't want to worry, but I don't, I don't even know that I'm a child of God. I don't know that I have access to that. I don't know that that's part of my promise. If you're here this morning and you've never surrendered your life to Christ, you've never made him the master and Lord of your life, this morning he wants to bring the freedom of, from worry into your life, but even more than that, he wants to bring the freedom of forgiveness of sin into your life. He wants to set you free, not just from worry, but from every other sin. And bring salvation into your life. Bring holiness into your life. Bring his presence into your life. So you can walk with him. It's impossible to walk free from worry if you don't walk with him. This morning he wants to bring you to a place where you can walk with him. He has brought you to this place for that purpose. And it starts simply by surrendering your life to Christ. So if you're here in this place and maybe you've been running from Jesus for years, maybe you've been running from him for a week, maybe you've never even heard this before, but you want to surrender your life to Christ, you want to start that walk with God, then I just, eyes are bowed, eyes are closed, heads are bowed. Right now I just want to give you an opportunity to to do that. If you want to surrender your life to Christ, just so I know that, that we have some people here to pray with, would you raise your hand so that I can see? I see that hand. Is there anybody else? All right. If my prayer teams can come now. For those of you who raised your hands, or maybe those who didn't raise their hands but you wanted to, There's going to be people on either side of this platform that would be more than happy to pray with you. But they're not just there to pray with people who surrender their lives to Christ. They're here to pray with everybody. If you got worry this morning, you need to bring it to the Lord. Start there. If you need healing in your life, you need someone just to agree with you over something, they're there. So so when when we close our service, these people would love to pray with you. So if you raised your hands, please come, or you wanted to raise your hand but you didn't, please come and just tell these people, I want to surrender my life to Christ. They'll lead you in that this morning. I want to pray for all of us and then uh, Pastor Kent's going to come and close us. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful, so thankful for all that you've done for us. First of all, that you sent Jesus to show us who you are, to demonstrate your love. To free us from sin and to free us from worry. God, we repent of all the times we have taken ownership of things that are yours. So we give you our cares. We give you our worries. And we seek your kingdom first. God, may the life that you have designed for us, free from worry, spring up in us and grow as we walk with you and walk in the grace that you give us to be free from worry.
In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Kent. Thank you, Pastor Josh. When Pastor Dan talked about holding the cup, we have the ushers in the back that uh, have a basket. Uh, if you're here for the first time, if you're a guest, there's no obligation. Um, if you're here and this is part of your church, uh, that's to receive your offering and your, and your tithe. I truly believe that God put a deposit in the worry account of each one of our hearts. When we sang earlier, the debt we owe was paid in blood in that a debt account is a worry account. And when God puts a deposit in there, it trumps the debt. It trumps the worry. Thanksgiving Eve, we're doing a service. If you don't know what to, what to give thanks for on Thursday, come on Wednesday. Hear some testimonies of some brothers and sisters that are going to give testimony of the thank, thankfulness that they have. It is an opportunity to be a witness to some of your family of what God has done in your life. So Lord, we thank you. <laughs> we could never outgive you. We could never, out, could never pay you enough, Lord. Father, we thank you that everything is covered by you, yeah. by your blood. And Father, we, I pray, Lord, that you would reveal every worry we have. Lord, we'd leave it at the door. Father, we write it down and put it in the basket <laughs> and, and leave it here. And we would not pick it back up. In the name of Jesus, all of them are be gone. So Lord, we thank you for it. Father, we trust you with every day moving forward. With every breath we have, that we sing your praise. As a blessing on every person, every giver, everyone here. Everyone that hears this message even online. Lord, that you would speak volumes through it. That you would set them free from the worry that drags us down. That tries to derail the lies of the enemy. That's all worry is. So in the name of Jesus, be blessed. Father, as we worship you this song, uh, let our praises be loud in the heavens. And it's all in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you guys.